So glad you're here, Coach. Let me start with everybody. Welcome to Sunday Night Clinic. We are a forum of positive, honest exchanges for the betterment of athlete 911 players and families. And with Masters of Baseball, our agenda is to help players all over the country and the world in today's youth baseball environment. want to repeat like I do every week. This conversation is a is positive information to help you. No agenda, but a talk to help players and families grow in our great game. This forum of baseball talk and sharing philosophies and beliefs is for the player, the family member, the youth, and high school, college coaches. It's a forum for all of us to grow as people and coaches and mentors. Now, about our guest tonight. Keep it short. Jerry, I could go forever on this one. Uh we we wasted enough wasted enough of your time. <laughs> okay, let me just tech, technological okay. idiots. <laughs> let me just go over this really short. Okay, Jerry is a graduate of UCLA. He received his BA, MS, and teaching credentials at UCLA, where he also spent two years coaching the freshman team. He was a high school coach for it looks like uh, five years, and a JC coach for three. And then he spent 23 years at Sacramento City College where, guys, he had an 800 winning percentage. He was 831 and 208 with 16 championships, two co-championships, two state titles in a national championship in 1998. Sac City was voted the community college program for the decade of the 90s. Jerry, while he was at Sac City, produced 28 major league players and had 213 players drafted. He also coached at University of Miami, Cal Poly San Luis. He's been big on the international level, uh, Team Israel, USA. He's basically done it all. Lastly, before (laughs) we bring him in to talk, uh, Coach Weinstein is a member of the Sacramento City College Athletic Hall of Fame, the California Community College Hall of Fame, the American Baseball Coaches Association Hall of Fame. He was also inducted to the Sacramento Baseball Hall of Fame in 2017. In 2018, he received Baseball America's Tony Gwynn Lifetime Achievement Award. And then in 2020, he was named the recipient of the American Baseball Coaches Association Wilson Lefty Gomez Award for contributions to the game locally, nationally, and internationally. Jerry has a wife, Andrea. They have a daughter, Amy, a son-in-law, Mark, two grandsons, Max and Mickey, and a son, Aaron. And they all reside in San Luis Obispo. Coach Weinstein, welcome to Athletic 911 Sunday Clinics. You just wore me out, brother. <laughs> Good to be here. And, and and all of that happened because I had really good players and really good coaches. Well, we know how good your players were and how great a coach you are. Um, let me ask you the first question I wanted to ask you. What has fueled your fire for your longevity and excellence through all walks of baseball, high school, JC, D1, international, and pro baseball? Well, basically, basically, I'm I'm pretty much an idiot except in one area, and uh, I have a passion for one area, and it's kind of twenty four seven, and that's what I focus on. I try and I try and be as good as I can be in that in that one area. But I, I think, without making light of it, I think I really like what I'm doing, 
and I still like what I'm doing at 78 and I've always liked it and uh, was not a very good player and, and uh, you know, spent a lot of time on the bench at UCLA and every other place, but I, I really watched and studied the game. I knew what my calling would be and I like, I just like the whole process. I like everything about athletics. I coach football in, at the high school and the college level. I like that. And uh, I just like, you know, the challenge of every day trying to make guys just a little bit better. It's that Japanese Kaizen improvements in small increments and just getting everybody on, on the same page, creating a culture. And, and I, I, like, I like young people. I like people that really want to be good and are willing to make sacrifices and and I like the challenges of the guys that you have to convince and the ones that are will blindly follow you off the cliff. But I, I just like it all. I, I like every piece of it. I, I like, you know, the bad stuff. You know, I, I say failure's fertilizer. And I, you know, I, I maybe we maybe won a lot of games. We lost over 200 games at Sac City or close to it. And, and uh, you know, you either, you either get better or you learn every time you lose. And so... You know, I, I just, I just like the challenge of the game, and and I like the fact that it's it's very liquid, uh, it's it's very dynamic, and it's changing rapidly, uh, more so in the last five years than probably ever before. I like that challenge. I like, you know, trying to get better every day. Uh, I like trying to prove my paradigms wrong. You know, I always examine what I'm doing. Can I do it better? And and uh, uh, it's just. I, obviously, <laughs> that, uh, I really like it. That's that's the most important thing. You really got to like what you're doing. Well, you're outstanding at it, and it's obvious that you love doing it. You're 78 years old, and you're out there every day. Let me ask you a question, Coach. Uh, you just mentioned it. In the last five years, the game has changed. What I mean, where are the biggest changes that you have seen You know, in all your years of doing this? How is the game evolving, in your opinion? Well, I think, you know, most people, well, data and analytics and this and that and the other thing. I think the biggest change for me and probably in the last 25 years is uh, is mental skills. That mindset coaching has become a bigger part of our game. I remember uh, I was the, the scouting director. I was the farm director for the Dodgers, and we, we hired uh, Ken Revisa as a uh, mental skills coach. Uh, 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 part you know just a, a a contract guy that would come in and help us with our mentor skills at the big league level primarily and and he could never talk to the guys in the clubhouse because if you talk to him in the clubhouse you know that means they're, they're screwed up there's something wrong with them and that he'd have to make appointments and meet them in their hotel rooms and stuff like that and now that that mental skills piece is, is right out there at the forefront of the game and i just think the mental i think that's a separator certainly in professional baseball everybody's got ability but the guys that the elite players have elite mental skills. They know how to, how to deal with adversity. They know how to accept responsibility. I know I would always joke with Ken. I'd say, Ken, I said, you know, this mental skill stuff is really overrated. This game is 95% physical, 5% mental. And he'd look at me, he says, Weinstein, he says, remember this, the 5% mental controls the 95% physical. And it, it's really true. Now, obviously, you know, it, it's, you asked me kind of a loaded question because we we could talk about, exit speed and and launch angle and but those are just new terms for hitting the ball hard and hitting line drives or whatever uh, i don't think in that sense it, it's it, the the verbiage has changed a little bit but also uh the we're, we're able to quant we we know intuitively what we're doing because we use our eyes uh, over our ipads 10 15 years ago but now we have ipads that 
that uh, that reinforce what we're we're doing then in terms of instruction and so on and so forth. But the the uh, just we we got a better. Uh, I think we have a better grasp on how to teach skills. I think we're moving in that direction with the perceptual motor learning guys like Rob Gray, who wrote a great book uh, uh, about uh, what was it called? Uh, learning how to learn or something like that. It's really phenomenal. He's he's a professor at, at Arizona State. But uh, another book I'd recommend, I, you know, I'm going to ramble. I'm not going to answer probably the question you asked me, but I, 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 I'm going to tell you how to make the clock. Uh, a guy named Adam Grant wrote a book called Think Again, which is really good. And then I just read Steve Kerr's book, which I highly recommend reading that in terms of coaching and how prepared he was to coach in the NBA and win a championship with an NBA championship with his first team. Anyway, um, it's it's changed in every aspect, but but it really hasn't changed. Uh, It's just we've got different labels and stuff. And, you know, certainly our strength programs uh, have have made a difference because guys are bigger, stronger, faster now as a result of developing their, their bodies more precisely and scientifically and, and uh, so on. I mean, it obviously it's changed in a lot of ways, you know, a lot of strikeouts and a lot of home runs and, and a hundred miles an hour instead of 90 miles an hour and different intent relative to how hard guys swing or how hard guys try and throw. I'm not sure all that is for the better, however. Yeah. The game I mean, from the analytics, social media, all of it's changed. Jerry, we have a lot of kids on here that are that 13 to 18-year-old that, you know, want to go and play college baseball and are looking to go to the next level. What would be the advice that you would give them and tell them? So, say a kid is in the Sacramento area and he was going to hopefully go to Sac City to play for Jerry Weinstein. What were the things that you wanted in a player in order to play in your program? Well, our program, our program was, was different, but it, I'm just in general, if you want to be a college player today, the, the number one, without a doubt, and it's way ahead of everything else, the, the number one most important thing is get good grades. If you have good grades, then you got options. If you have bad grades, you don't have options, and you're, then you're going to be at, at Sac City, which is, to me is a good thing. I think every – I think the, the most underrated programs are the community college programs. It, no matter how elite you are, you go into the, the good SEC schools. You go in. I know you're having Tim Corbin. You go into Vanderbilt, and very few freshmen are going to play that, that first year. They may play until the, you get to the point where they can redshirt you, yeah, but you're not going to play very much. And so, I mean, like in a, at, at Sacramento City, because we played, we had two te- We had a lot of guys. We had good internal competition, but all our guys got 300 at bats in the fall and through 70 innings. We played every every Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We played split double headers. We had two teams playing. We played a lot of games. There's no restrictions on how much time we can be out there. I'm a huge believer in the community college system, and I think that right now, uh, I I I think we maybe got our our value systems a little bit skewed because you know, and I, I see it. I'm not in that arena but with travel ball and all the money with lessons and showcases and travel teams and motel rooms and you got a lot of money invested in in the development of your your young kids and then the second thing is uh that uh colleges are really expensive now <laughs> when i started at ucla there was no tuition we played we i paid 95 dollars a semester to go to school at ucla 
and, and routinely now the schools, not the public ones necessarily, most private schools are 60, 70, $80,000 a year. And so now if a guy develops as an athlete uh, and, and they can soften some of the, the cost factor, but they're just giving partial scholarships and, and there's still only 11.2 scholarships. So nobody's getting a full scholarship and there aren't enough scholarships to go around for all these guys. And for me, that's one of the values that you get so much bang for your buck in the community college. You get professors teaching classes. You have smaller class sizes, easy to get your classes and it's cheap <clears throat> and, and you're developing yourself as a player as well. But, uh, uh, you know, some other things, just having variable skill set, And part of it is, is playing multiple sports. I'm a big believer in that, especially in, until you're 16 or 17 years, you know, not just putting all your eggs in one basket and just playing baseball uh, 52 weeks a year. And uh, there's, there's certain tools that you develop as a soccer player, tennis player, relative to IN, playing table tennis, playing badminton, um, uh, swimming, lacrosse, foot. I'm a big fan of football as long as you don't lead with your head. Uh, but I just being an athlete and not such, so specialized so early. Okay, let me ask you this now. I'm going to – one more question, then I'm going to ask you a question that Mark Gonzalez has asked me to ask you. You know, obviously your career has spiraled into a life of baseball. When you started, what was your vision, and how did you want to impact players and the game? You know, that, that's, a, that's a good question. I have a, really, I have a real good answer because I know exactly my, what my mindset was. I was – Whatever team I was coaching or wherever I was, I wasn't thinking about my next job. I was thinking about being really good where I was, whether I was at Pioneer High School or Santa Monica High School or L.A. Valley College or Miami or whatever. It was there was no bucket list. Hey, I'm doing this to do that. And I really and I made the best of whatever situation, you know, having good, bad days or, uh, you know, controlling the controllables and. And, uh, you know, the people, the player, not complaining, oh, we got bad players and this, hey, make them better, you know, and that, and I enjoyed the challenge of doing that. And I, and, and I enjoy, enjoy the challenge of uh, creating a culture that has carryover, not just in athletics, but in life in general, because uh, there, there are definite things that, that are of value in athletics, but certainly they, they, they have value in relationships or jobs or, whatever you're doing, it, it, it has application. And so, um, we tried to coach the, the total athlete. I just, the one thing I regret, uh, I think probably the last 20 years, you know, more about, uh, uh, paying it forward and handing the baton to the next guy and, 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 uh, uh, you know, more about, uh, uh, you know, making deposits instead of withdrawals. I think I was a little, uh, you know, <laughs> I was protecting my, my my data and my 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 program, you know, uh, in a certain respect. But now I just see the value of sharing information with people and helping people get better. And and, and the other thing, like uh, we talked to, I'm kind of my role with the Rockies is is multi uh, task, and part of it is a is a mentor uh, piece with our young coaches. And you know, they all they want to, you know, I want to be at double A AA or triple A, or I want to get to the big leagues. I said, get your players there first. And, and your job is to eliminate your job. We don't want codependent players. And we want to put the responsibility on the player for their individual development. It's a collaborative effort. And 
you know, I've always said that the best lessons are self-taught. And so we got to, we, we can't just continue to hold that, that player's hand. And we, we talk too much most of the time and the players tune out and they don't listen. And I think that we just have to bring the players more into the development piece and do what's right for each individual player and, and be really adaptable and variable relative to each individual player. There's, I don't know what good pitching mechanics are. I don't know what good hitting mechanics are, but I know what a good pitch looks like. And I know what a, a, a good contact, well, a hard line drive looks like. And everybody has a little different way of executing that. And it's almost, you know, I'd rather backwards engineer a guy swing than say, put the bat here, here, and here. Let, give them a goal, give them a drill, and then let's see how they accomplish it, how they organize their body. And everybody's going to do it a little bit differently. And we don't write our, our, our signature the same way twice in a row. Uh, it's, it's like repetition without repetition. Gotcha. I just had somebody uh, send me a question in your time with Ken Razia. What were, what were your top, they want to know what were your top three takes from him? Uh, do you suck so bad that you have to feel good to play good? That was, that, that was a, a big one with him. You know, these guys will, you know, they, if they don't feel good, they can't, they, they can't function. They gotta, they gotta be, feel perfect. And you and uh, and in that same uh, all along that same vein, one of the things is, is you've got to have good bad days, and then you have to con- you have to control the controllables. And and off of each one of those things, he had specific techniques. Uh, I, I, if you don't have Ken's the the last book, uh, Heads Up Baseball 2.0, that Ken and Tom Hansen wrote, you, you need to get and you need to get the first one because they're both different. And I mean, he was the best by far the best and and uh, very fortunate to have uh, have known him i brought him into sacramento city college in 1983 i had a particular pitcher who ended up pitching a long time in the big leagues who was uh excuse my french a pain in the ass and i had no answer for it and i brought him in <laughs> to talk to ken and, and ken did a great job with him but what he did he really opened our eyes as coaches that we were really missing the point relative to uh coaching the mental game and, and, and everything we did after that was based around the form formula and the format that Ken laid out for us relative to checking in and being in the now, you know, yesterday's history, tomorrow's a mystery. Today's a gift. That's why they call it the present be where you are. And his red, yellow light, uh, you know, his red, yellow light, uh, uh, system, you know, if you were in a, uh, 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 if you're in a green light, you know, everything's good. You just go yellow. That means you're moving towards red and you got to step out, regroup, refocus, restart. And then if you're in a red light, you know, you're, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're, you're coming out of the game probably if you're a pitcher. Uh, so you want to avoid getting to that. And he had various techniques, focal points on the field, big on breathing, huge on breathing. And, you know, I mean, he's, he's not the lone ranger. I mean, Harvey Dorfman was really good and, and, uh, you know, they're, they're all, they're, I mean, uh, Kane uh, is, is really good, but he was a, st- a student of Ken and, and uh, Doug Chadwick, who was a, uh, one of Ken's, he had a group of postdoctoral students from the uh, U.S. Military Academy. And Doug Chadwick was one of those guys. He had three tours in, in Afghanistan. And now he's our mental skills coach and he's head of the Major League Baseball mental skills group. And uh, he's, he was a major on the on the ground and 
has his doctorate and they Ken brought those guys in because the, the the military wanted to send their leadership group in there so that I mean what's more stressful than ducking bullets and the, the if you fail you die and so he taught those guys those mental skills techniques that would give them the best possible chance to be successful and uh, so it's it's more than just athletics bigger than that okay so let me go to this question from mark now jerry uh in all your years of jc coaching how much did you stay involved with your counselors to make sure your players are taking the right transferable units to a four-year school well uh, you know what Uh, and and i'm going to be very honest with you we had a my last 10 years there we had a, a a coordinator just in charge of the athletes but for the whole time i was there we had study hall every day after practice we had study hall but and i would not i I would be i'd be lying to you and remiss if i didn't say that we didn't have people there that they were on the vocational track their their only purpose hey i'm just coming here for a year or two years to play professional baseball and if i can't get a chance to play professional baseball then i'm going to go get a job doing something else that doesn't necessarily need an education. Now, I will say that a, a high percentage of those guys, all of a sudden, after two years, had a number of units, they they get drafted, they didn't get drafted high enough, and they end up getting a chance to get a scholarship and went on to four-year schools and got their degrees just just as a residue of, of what they had done. But uh, I think from a, from a goal standpoint that we had a percentage of uh, – guys that were majoring in baseball, which was fine. I didn't have any problem with that, but they still had to take the classes. And sometimes, uh, you know, they, they had a reality check and, Hey, I'm not who I think I am. And, uh, I better, you know, I better look for plan B and I still want to play baseball. And they went on to colleges, uh, all different kinds of colleges and, uh, all different divisions, but a lot of division one players, especially in the Southeast and Miami and LSU and, and Tennessee and Florida state, so on. And, ended up with their degrees. And, and I would say probably as a result of, cause you, you had to pass classes to be eligible the first year they didn't, but we made sure that they did. And we made them go to summer school. All our guys went to summer school. So I would say that, uh, we, we, our goal was to keep them eligible, to encourage them to take transfer stuff. That's going to help them later on and support them with, tutors and study hall and stay on top of them we did we did weekly grade checks with the teachers and so we were i i don't i think in 24 years i don't think i ever had a guy academically ineligible now were they were they taking microbiology probably not but uh you know you have all kinds of people and you have to adapt to the individual people and their needs is is it better for them to be in in a baseball mode at at Sacramento city college and running around uh, aimlessly and trouble finding you. Well, no doubt for me, Mark, I hope that, uh, hope that answers your question. I think it does. And, and uh, he, you know, he's very, um, he thank you for answering that question for him. You know um, I want to ask you a question because we do have uh, young coaches on here, high school coaches, college coaches, you know, I mean, I was fortunate enough to coach against you my first year of coaching at San Rosa JC with Ron Myers. So I got to see you firsthand. 
and uh, feel the pressure that you created in a game. You know, you've always been very creative and way ahead of your competition in mindset and preparation. What has been your goals and in mentoring the many young coaches on this call to be a successful coach, can you lay a foundation from your experiences that may help other coaches on this call evolve? Well, having a plan, it all starts with a plan. And we all, we always had, we had a mission statement that we really stayed with and it changed every year, depending upon, upon the group. And we had kind of a, a pyramid of success, which obviously stole from John Wooden and, uh, and we had a, a daily plan. I spent probably two and a half to three hours every night with our practice plan. And it was very individualized. And, and we had, we were very fortunate. Uh, Sacramento was a tremendous baseball city. And uh, I, I think baseball for me was number one, very supportive. We had a lot of good players. It was under recruited. So we got good players, but we also had a lot of good coaches. And I think probably the last 15 years I was there, we had a core of, of eight guys that were there for like 15 years. And, and, uh, and, you know, we, we coached them and they coached the players and then we could turn them loose and take the training royals off and not have to worry about them. But we, and we met a lot. We, uh, we evaluated uh, our practices and our individual players. We, uh, we spent probably as much time off the field talking about what we're doing and trying things uh, than we did uh, on the field, and we spent a lot of time on the field. I was, <laughs> I was, I was speaking at the clinic today, and the guy was talking. He says, "Yeah, well, we don't, we, don't, you know, we don't want practices to go over two hours or two hours and fifteen minutes. We just want to get them in and get them out." Hell, we were out there five, six hours a day on the weekends. We'd get at Land Park at nine in the morning, and we'd play two, two teams would play double headers, and and at five o'clock we were, we were coaches were meeting we're reviewing the game and planning for our next day so we i you know i, I jokingly said and at that time <laughs> sleep is the enemy and rest and and recovery was not part of our 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 lexicon we didn't talk about that i said you got to be a good playing tired and uh and, and it worked and it worked for us i'm not saying that that's good but uh, you know if you play professional baseball and you play 162 day games you're not going to be a hundred percent for more than maybe 25% of the game. You'll never feel as good as you do on day one of spring training. After that, it's all downhill. So uh, I, I think working hard and working smart is important. Okay. So let me, let's talk a little bit about makeup before we go to some catching stuff. we got some pretty good catchers on this call and one of them uh is going to mississippi state next year so i would we got big, big shoes to fill down there that oh guy, yeah that guy's yeah. really good <laughs> logan tanner yeah he yeah but this kid is is is, is going to be special with the bat and he's become a really good receiver good so i want to get into some uh catching talk with you but okay. can you please talk about um you know, the makeup stuff, the, you know, having character, competing, being a good teammate, the the other intangibles involved besides playing skills that are important? Well, uh, taking responsibility for your actions, you know, you got to know, you, you got to know what your banana is. It's, there's a, there's a, a metaphor about monkey, they're, they're hunting monkeys in China and they're really fast and they use them for all kinds of medicinal things and so on and so forth. And the monkeys are really fast. And so th to slow them down, <laughs> they, they have these 
and this is the story. I don't know if it's true or not, but they had these jars, real heavy jars with bananas in them. And when the monkey reached inside to grab the banana, they couldn't run as fast. And they, they caught, they poached them and caught those monkeys. And so I tell the guys, I say, hey, what's your banana? What's slowing you down? What's holding you back? Uh, you have to be a good self-evaluator. You have to, um, we're really big on keeping logs. So accepting responsibility for your own development, get into a situation where, <clears throat> you're in a competitive environment. Like we would get guys that would, uh, you know, recruit guys. And if the first thing they said, well, who do you have? I said, well, we got Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and you're going to redshirt your first, first year, most likely. So figure out what you want to do. And, and uh, I said, what, what's your goal? Well, I want, I want to be a big league player. Oh, well, that's, that's a novel concept. I said, okay, well, uh, you think they're just going to roll out the red carpet and let you walk to the big leagues? You're going to, they're going to drop you on the top of Everest. But I, I honestly believe that uh, we had such internal competition and guys were competing with one another every day in practice. And, and one guy, you know, the number three guy, Lee Prog's the number two guy. And then, then the number two guy comes back and Lee Prog's him. And the number three guy ends up Lee Prog and number one guy. And so internally, so our practices were, were highly competitive, highly competitive and at, at or above game speed. I think being able to work, and, you know, I, I see a lot of drill work on, uh, especially with catching on uh, on uh, receiving or blocking, and it's all well below game speed, and it's it's all predictable stuff. Every ball's in the dirt, and not the least bit chaotic, and 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 that's not how the game is played. Now you have to develop a foundation. It's kind of like you need to you need to learn how to swing before you learn how to hit, and you got to learn how to catch before you learn how to catch in a game. There's a progression, but I'm looking for guys that can deal with adversity that are not Gumby children powders that are, you know, and this was a, this was a good Ken Revisa when the, one of your guys asked about uh, a Ken uh, 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 saying, he says, he says, we want, we want low highs and high lows. We want you right in that middle ground. And uh, I think that that's, that's really important. And uh, again, <clears throat> I mentioned this probably three times in terms of controlling the controllables. And uh, there's a, there's a, coach at the university of Alabama softball coach. And, uh, he, his, the, their big mantra is, uh, I think it's Mudita or Mundita. And I think that's, uh, might be African, but it means getting joy from other people's success. And now the opposite of that is Schodenfreud is getting, being happy when the other guy screws up, whether it's on your team or the other team. When I play, when we play another team, we want them to be really, really good. I want them to play their best, and we want to beat them when they're at their best. And and the same thing with uh, competing on your own team. And you, I want to compete against the best, and I want to compete a bit against the best when they're playing their best. And uh, because that's how I can develop myself the best. And again, uh, you know, play. You know, we we talk about the kiss principle, not keep it simple, stupid, but keep it simple, smart. And figuring figuring things out for yourself, not not wait waiting for someone to tell you what to do. You know there are <clears throat> three kinds of guys. Some guys know what's happening. Uh, some guys some guys have no clue whatsoever, and some guys make things happen. And you want to be the guy that that makes things happen. And and I, from the teammate standpoint, where you're helping your teammates, I, I always felt like. From a skills development standpoint, uh, that they hear it, they forget it. 
and we talk a lot as coaches, way too much. They do it, they remember it, okay? Uh, or they see it, they remember it, they do it, they learn it, and they teach it, they learn it forever. So uh, I always force players to to instruct, whether it was in a camp or they're running a drill and, and helping the, the, the younger players in a particular drill or being in charge of a drill or running the practice or whatever, because once you have to teach it, then you, you've got it. you got it forever. Now, now, obviously, you're always refining it to make yourself better. And then, and then one thing we talk about is every day let your, let your reach exceed your grasp. If you can hold on to the pole at a certain height, raise it a little bit higher where you really have trouble holding on to it. And every day have specific goals, keep a log, and, and just it's a series of good choices. And uh, instead of waiting for things to happen, you got to make things happen. And that means that you've got to eventually learn to be your own coach. And, and uh, I say, and, and there's, there's never been more information. Most of it is pretty good, especially with social media. And I, I've always said the man with the most information wins. Information is king. And then you have to be able to learn what information is works for you because there's going to be a lot of well-meaning coaches out there that are going to tell you, hey, you got to do this and you got to do that, or you can't do this or you can't do that. And for me, who, I mean, there's, there's no always or nevers in this game. You've got to figure out what works for you because ultimately it's the back of your card, not anybody else's. Coach, when you – before we go into catching, when you, since there are so many kids here that are, you know, trying to get to that next level, when you go to a field to watch a player, what do you want to see? Well, number one, I look for athleticism. I don't care what his position is, especially pitchers and catchers. For me, those have to be the two best athletes on your team because they touch the ball more than anybody else in a, in a big league season. Uh, uh, an average of 147 pitches are thrown every game. So the catcher is going to catch uh, probably with not taking away the ones that are, that are hit uh, probably 20% of those pitches are, are going to be close to the strike zone or, or uh, just in or just out of the strike zone. So, you know, you can really sway the count and the, and run uh, expectancy. So, uh, you know, over the course of a season, you you could be responsible for as many as three or four big league wins if you're if you're really good, just with receiving, and uh, and a big league win is worth around nine million dollars. But uh, so athletes, I'm looking for athletes. Well, what's an athlete? Well, does he have to run fast and hit the ball a long way? No, not necessarily. It's just, I mean, Nolan Arenado is an unbelievable athlete, but he would not be a good football player and he would not be a good basketball player. I don't think, but he's, he's a, he's a baseball athlete. He's got tremendous internal compass and tremendous internal clock. And, and he works smart all the time. I look, I look for how they work, how they work and how they run balls out. I work for, I look for how they, how they act after something bad happens, they strike out or make an error. You know, what do they do? You know, can they regroup? Can they use it to fuel them to choose to, to get better? And um, I just just guys that are athletic and play hard and look like they're they're enjoying themselves and uh, and you, you, and run balls out because you when you run a ball out you're running it out for your team that's for your teammates. Now it, it's going to help you. You're going to get a few extra infield hits if you run hard, but you're going to help your team win a lot more games. And it and that's great leadership. Uh, guys that I like to see the guys that that get there early stay late, 
mom and dad isn't carrying their equipment bag for them and bringing them a Subway sandwich in in the sixth inning. And, you know, I like kind of dirtbag kind of players, guys that really compete, you know, no matter no matter what the ability level is, you know, I'm going to find a way to compete against this guy in the batter's box or on the mound. They're not afraid that uh, they're aggressive. They look for ways to advance themselves as base runners. I mean, there's so many, there's so many, so many little things and that has nothing to do with, with the, the uh, ball metric stuff, how, how the ball comes out of a pitcher's hand or an infielder or off a hitter's bat and, and power and stuff like that, because that's, that's, that's easy stuff. That's really easy to see. It's easy to see that, but you know, the, the telling stuff is the make the, the thing that's, I mean, I mean, how many guys and you, you young guys that are listening or coaches, uh, how many guys do you have that, that could have been good if? How many players do you have and, and, and at the end, you know, that guy could have been good if? There's nothing more common than the man with talent who has failed. And every year when I was managing our first meeting, I say, guys, there's only one thing you need to worry about and think about. At, write, write, your, write your epitaph. Write your obituary. When, when, you're, when you're done playing baseball, and you look in the mirror, what are you going to say? Gee, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Gee, I wish I hadn't uh, worked so smart. You're going to have some regrets. Everybody does. And really what you want to do is have minimum number of regrets and, and be the best version of you every day. You're not good. And it's not about performance. It's about working smart, working hard. <clears throat> it's about effort. It's about focus. It's about being where you need to be, about making, you know, Bobby Knopp, he says, every day when you come to the ballpark, you want to make one of your teammates better. And that's, that's a great goal. You know, oh, there's, a, there's so many little things that are important. And the, the, the reality is there, there, there are no little things. Everything's important. Jerry, you know, a bunch of coaches on here have said, you know, they've talked about being competitive in the game and in moments, in the hitting box, being competitive. When you say that, can you tell these kids what you mean by that? Um, you know, it's, it's hard to uh, define what competitiveness looks like in the batter's box, but a couple things, you know, you look and you, and you know, as, as long as you scouted and as well as you scouted, you look and you, this guy's going to battle your ass off. I don't care who's pitching out there. Randy Johnson can be out there, (laughs) but he's going to give you a competitive at bat. They're in control. When they step in the batter's box, they're, they're going to war. It's like, I say you can be Clark Kent out of the batter's box. When you step in the batter's box, you better be Superman, and just just competing, and you, you just you can and you don't worry about the umpire, you don't worry about anything that you can't control. It's just about being where you need to be on every pitch and and, and competing in the batter's box in terms of focus and no waste. We don't give away at bats. We don't give away pitches. We're there for every pitch, and you know making the ability to make adjustments guys that make now you you may make the wrong adjustments but at least you're making adjustments here i mean a, a fly has a small brain but when he gets shut up shut in a car he's not buzzing at the same point on the window he's trying to find a way out making adjustments that's big that you know kind of that's a competitive thing for me you things don't snowball you have a bad first at bat and your day's over gotcha Hey, coach. Okay, so let's let's go to catching a little bit here and uh, talk about. Would you call catching your hot spot? Um, I I don't know if I would. I I, I think other people will. I think I, I think 
you know, I've prided myself on being able to coach the, every part of the game. But I think I, at, through my career, I've spent more time with catchers than, than anybody else. When I was at Sac City, though, you know, I took care of the pitchers. I had people help me. I had Fred Corral help me. And I had Jesse Flores help me one year and Jay Robertson and, and Jimmy Nelson. But I always took, as a head coach, I, I wanted to control that pitching piece and, and then the catchers and all the time. And then, like, my first job in professional baseball in 1980, I was a catching coordinator for the Brewers. And I, that, I think that was the first catching coordinator in professional baseball at that time. And I was working just kind of uh, during the summer for a guy named Ray Poitman. And I'd go around and he had drafted some high-profile guys. And uh, I, I would say, I mean, there are a lot of good catching guys out there right now. It's amazing. And the catching community is very cohesive. There's not this backbiting and sniping in one another. The catching guys share information. And uh, if there are catching guys out there or young catchers out there, if you get a chance ever to go to the Zan Barksdale's Catcher Con in Nashville, Tennessee, it's in December every year. It's phenomenal. I, I speak at it just about every year, and he does a phenomenal job. And you know, half the audience are big league catching coaches or catching coordinators. I think that's good. But, uh, yeah, you could – I mean, the <laughs> I, I, no, I, I think you're a guru coach of everything you do. You've had success at everything you do. You've done every job in baseball. I just, I, I, what I want you to talk about with catching is, if you can, is what you think are the hot spots. Like Bryce Hubbard is on this call. He's headed to Mississippi State. You know, I mean, he's a left-handed bat that I've, uh, you know, compared to Todd Hundley. He reminds me of Todd Hundley hitting. Uh, in his his well, that's, that's pretty good because he. I hope he throws better than Todd Huntley. Well, okay, so his receiving skills have really improved and his throwing's really improved. But what are the things that you would tell catchers that are really important for that position? Well, there's there's four cornerstones to catching, you know, and, and three of them are pretty obvious: uh, catch, block, and throw. And then the fourth one is game management. I think that. Uh, you know, with coaches calling pitches, and I'm not adverse to coaches calling pitches because I did it all the time. But you, and and but I spent the time after the game reviewing every single pitch with our pitcher and catcher, why we were going there, and we had a plan. And they had they always had the the right to shake it off or change it if they felt that uh, they had a, a better plan for themselves because the right pitch thrown with the uh, right the wrong pitch thrown with doubt is not as good or the. The wrong pitch thrown, the right pitch thrown with doubt is not as good as the wrong pitch thrown with confidence. So it's about what what that pitcher or catcher feels most comfortable for that pitcher or catcher to call. But uh, I, I would say studying the game in terms of uh, I would talk to pitching coaches and a lot to pitching coaches relative to uh, pitch calling and, and game management from that standpoint. Uh, the, 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 the big piece right now in baseball, and it's liable to change with the the ABS, the automated ball strike deal that's we're going to have in AAA this year. I hope I, I just did an interview with a guy at the Atlantic, and uh, I am hopeful that we don't go there. I think we got a chance to do other things that could help us in that area. But the biggest effect on the ball game, on the game at the professional level, is receiving. Uh, as far as runs saved, catching. Uh, the best guys above the average guys are about 26 runs. So that's three or four wins. Blocking is about one run. And if saving eight runs, eight, seven, eight, or nine runs equates to a major league win. And throwing is about 
4.5 runs. So the catching piece is five to six, seven, eight times more important than the blocking and throwing piece. So uh, that's foundationally, that's that's where you need to start relative to to uh, uh, developing an elite le- skill set in, in, in receiving. And uh, uh, I don't care what your stance is. Everybody's got their own stance that's best for them. Everybody gets their panties in a wad now with a one-knee stance. At this last instruction league, we, we forced our catchers to work out of every stance, right knee down, left knee down. Uh, a uh, sprinter stance with the with the uh, with the left knee down. Uh, a modified kick stand with the right knee down. Modified kick stand with the left knee down. Kick stand with either side, and we find out where they're best, uh, where they are best from any particular stance relative to converting straw balls or or baseball savant calls them shadow pitches in, into strikes, and we're trying to get every strike that's a strike called a strike. And we're trying to get 50% of those shadow pitches, which are a ball's width off the plate, or maybe even a ball's width on the plate. That's how they term it. Uh, I call them straw balls called strikes and uh, being still quiet behind the plate, catching the ball up to the plate, whether you flex it back after you catch it, moving the ball, moving the ball fast. I think it's really important to move the ball fast. The best organization in baseball was the Texas Rangers. Uh, with uh, uh, Jose Trevino and uh, uh, I can't think of the other guy's name. And the big thing that Bobby Wilson, their catching guy, talks about is moving the ball fast north and south. <laughs> Whether you're moving it up in the zone or down in the zone, that it happens fast. And uh, and when I say fast, from the time it hits your glove till the time your glove stops, we want that to be quick. And uh, And the guys that are slower kind of catch it and move it kind of two-piece. They want it to be a one-piece move. Todd Higashioka is really good with the, the Yankees. He catches – he's the lowest-profile traditional two, two-foot stance catcher that in, in baseball. But there's a lot of variations. Uh, there are guys uh, that uh, they have various stances depending upon the situation. If, it's, if the priority is blocking, I'm going to be in my best blocking stance. If the priority is throwing, I'm going to be in my best throwing stance. If the priority is the pitch, then I'm going to be in my best receiving stance. And ideally, we'd like to have one stance that we could do everything from and then be really good out of that one stance. I am not of the opinion that a one-knee stance affects your throwing. That's number one. Because the reality is you start on a knee, but when that guy goes, you come up off of a knee and you're in a good hip hinge position to throw. Whereas a lot of times the guys that are in, in traditional two-foot stance, they get a breaking ball away, and what do they do? They drop out of their stance, and their knee goes to the ground. So they're on the ground with their knee from a traditional stance when the guy that's on a knee to start with is coming up off of his knee, and he's in a good throwing position. Blocking, well, I, I honestly believe that if you spend enough time on a knee, depending upon the pitch uh, and the stance, that you can block just as well from a knee. Now, what the the default every time a guy's on a knee and he miss blocks a pitch everybody's on their rear end so oh well yeah there you go one knee but the reality is that if you were on two feet he probably wouldn't block it anyway but the key is to block the balls within your body because the majority of the balls are within your body and you'll never be late if you're down on a knee and you'll always have a good angle over the ball so yeah that's some catching stuff from a throwing standpoint i think what happens a lot of guys are trying to gain momentum 
and really uh, we, we, the thing that's important for me is to get the ball airborne in a hurry, not flipping the ball out there, but an alignment step first so that right foot is going behind your leg. We talk about right behind left and left to the target. What a lot of young guys do, especially when they lack arm strength, they take a big step forward with their right foot. They end up throwing with their, their stride foot on the plate or in front of the plate. And uh, it just takes them too long to gain alignment to throw. So that is, uh, and then we really, we really spend a lot of time on uh, catching the ball uh, in the sweet spot of the glove. And that's an eye hand coordination thing. It really affects you in throwing. If the ball ricochets from the heel of your hand into your glove, uh, a tough time making transfers and exchanges. And so we really talk about catching the ball clean in the right part of the glove, which is high in the glove between the index finger, middle finger, and thumb. And then, uh, you know, I mean, there's, it's a, I mean, it's a real diverse position. I mean, you have to be agile. You got to be quick. You got to be mobile. Uh, you have to have uh, strength. You have to have athleticism, uh, blocking and retrieving or bunded balls that you have to go out and get tag plays, you know, special skill there relative to one hand sweep tags, which everybody's, if you watch you know, the, with the Buster Posey rule, guys up in front of the plate, and they're not tagging guys at the plate. They're tagging guys uh, up the line. They're set up up the line, just like middle infielders are not straddling the base to make tags anymore. They're coming in front of the base, and they're letting the ball travel. One quick one-hand sweep tags. Uh, anyway, ask me, some, ask me some specific stuff. Yeah, okay. So, how, like, say a guy's a flincher or a head dropper. Can you fix those guys? Absolutely. Tell me just, how. <laughs> just have them catch batting practice or have them catch uh, BP and, and video them. And, and uh, I think that off, you see that less frequently off of a well, – just heighten their awareness. Hey, most guys don't know that they're, they're doing it. Or if they're doing it, they're not – you know, and just focus on that one thing. Hey, we're going to really keep our – you know, uh, it happens a lot with the guys that bring their head to the glove you know, we want to keep our head and eyes still and and expand the zone with our hands. We don't want to slide with our body or move our head down to look it into the glove, that type of thing. I, I think, I think we can. You know, we're coaches, we're teachers, we're, we we're mechanics. That should we should be able to fix that. As as you know, if you video it and you say, "Hey, we're not doing that," okay. All I want you to do, I want you to focus, and with enough time, you can definitely fix that. Well, I can just tell you this: when I scouted Bryce Harper. Uh, he was by far the best hitter in the country, but he was also the worst catcher in the country. Uh, I, I've never seen a guy flinch and drop his head so bad. Well, what, I, what percentage of the time do you think he worked on his catching and what percent of the time was his dad throwing him BP? Probably 95.5. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Okay. So let's go to game management. You, you mentioned it as one of your fours, catch the ball, block the ball, throw the ball. Talk, can you talk to these young guys about when, when you talk about game management, what, what's your expectation level for game management? Well, it's, it's leadership. It's uh, part of leadership is if you're going to be a leader, you've got to be exemplary. Uh, uh, that means you don't throw your equipment. You don't yell at the umpire. You run every ball out. Uh, you're, you're running on hard on and off the field. You're invested in, in with a servant mentality relative to the pitchers. You know, if they have a good day, you have a good day. That's your job to make sure that they have a good day in a winning effort. For me, the catcher gets half a win pitcher gets half a win. You lose, you each get a half a loss. I'm not sure when you win, the pitcher's willing to share his, his win with you, but 
the, that's the reality because a, a good catcher can just by how he calls a game, how he catches pitches, how he puts his signals down, his body language, everybody is looking at you. So being, being that guy, being that guy that everybody looks up to that, Hey man, I want, I want my sister to marry a guy like that. That that's big for me. And then just really being a student of the game relative to, you know, Hey, if we're out of position, you're like the quarterback. When you come up to the center, you check the field and make sure everybody's in the right, right place, especially with, bunt defenses and picks and things like that and then working hard in practice with your pitchers working hard in games blocking everything even with no one on base and less than two strikes so that that guy has confidence in your ability to 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 block his extra breaking ball or splitter in the dirt when you when he throws a bullpen you're working your ass off to make sure he has a good bullpen you're blocking pitches you're working on your transfers and and things like that just making everything important all the time. Uh, from a game management standpoint, <clears throat> the most important thing is to pitch to the pitcher's strengths. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who the hitter is. It's about the pitcher. Uh, I mean, for instance, <laughs> Albert Pujols is probably the best fastball hitter of our generation. And guys shy away from throwing him fastballs. But if I've got a fastball pitcher and I'm going to ask him to throw his secondary pitch to Albert Pujols, What's he going to think? Well, I'm not very good. You mean I my fastball is not good enough to get Albert Pools? And the reality is that as good a, a fastball hitter he is, he, 50% of his outs are on fastballs. It's about throwing it in his swing zone, but out of his solid contact zone. And even if he squares one up, 55% of the time it's going to be hit. So 45% of the time you got a chance. I tell pitchers and catchers, you know, Putting that contact and balls in play are big. I said, it's like a casino. He says, you guys are the casino and the casino always wins. Quit giving those hitters so much credit and pitching away from contact and, you know, trying to over pitch with asking guys to do things that they can't do just because the scouting report says you got to do that pitching away from your strengths. And uh, again, knowing your guys, when they need a strike, what's their strike pitch? When you need a ground ball, what's their ground ball pitch? What's their put-away pitch? What's their swing and miss pitch? And, and and then when they're in the bullpen, you're working on all that stuff. And, you know, you you are really, during the game, you're the pitching coach. You're an extension of that pitching coach. And so you got you got to communicate with the pitching coach. you got to pick his brain, the manager, you know, relative to uh, what he wants out of his pitchers and, uh, I think fast tempo is really important to me. The game is really slow today. And part of the reason it's slow is because our pitchers pitch with too slow a tempo and we can pick the tempo up. If we get the ball right back to them, make them catch the ball in the rubber, get the signal down right away, have a, a wipe system where the pitcher can change the pitch and or location. You don't have to go through your, your signal set. It's just, it, it's a, it, there's a lot of stuff, you know, you're like a, you're like a an NBA point guard running the offense or an NFL quarterback. Uh, that's that's the analogy for me for the catcher. So, you know, having lots of information and being able to apply it during the game and being positive, you know, really positivity is good. And then, you know, and aggressive. You know, we want, you know, as a coach, I want to coach caution out of my players, not caution into my players. And when you start being negative and, hey, you can't do this and you got to do this or why did you do that? Hey, man, 
move on. Next pitch. Let's go. You can do it. So that positivity, you know, it's amazing how much their hearing improves when you're when you're when you're giving them compliments. Okay, let me ask you a question. Since there are a lot of coaches on here, when you're considering a player for a position change and making him a catcher, how many guys have you done that to, and what are you looking for to make that guy that position position change to catcher? Well, the number one thing is he's got to want to do it, because if he doesn't want to do it, and it's not going to work, because it's hard, and they're going to be bad early on. No matter how good an athlete they are, they're going to really most of them are going to really be bad. But we had, I mean, Sacramento guy Dom Nunez was a shortstop in high school, and we signed him immediately. He's catching. Uh, we've got, uh, uh, oh, let me see, I'm trying to think. Jordan Pacheco, you know, New Mexico kid from yep. Albuquerque. He was yep. he was a reliever and infielder in college, and his second year turned him. Gino Petrali, my first year at at Sac City. Not my first year. It was like uh, maybe '76. Uh, I go. Gino was a high school shortstop at Kennedy High School. He was a marginal runner, maybe seven flat runner. Had really good bat to ball skills. No power. Had great hands. And no quickness, not enough to play short. I'm a shortstop. I said, and and everybody was telling me he's going to get drafted. He didn't get drafted. And uh, and so uh, uh, I go to his house to recruit him. He says, ah, oh, this game sucks. I'm going to go be a plumber. And his dad, Gene, had a, they had a plumbing family plumbing. I said, yeah, that's okay. That'd be good. I said, but do you like baseball? Yeah, I like baseball. But you know, I, I, they screwed me over. I said, hey, Gino. I think that you can be a big league catcher. Spend a year, and he liked to duck hunt. He was a winter duck hunter, and we're on the field. There's no duck hunting going on in Land Park. And so, uh, you know, he was kind of in and out in terms of commitment. Finally, we put through the gauntlet down and say, you're doing it or you're not. And he got drafted by uh, Toronto, signed after his first year, and got 10 years in the big leagues. Caught Nolan Ryan. And spent most of his time in Texas, and now I think he's an instructor for him. But I mean, if you if you're athletic, I think if you're athletic and you want to do it, uh, we had a guy in Chicago uh, named Coy Hill who was a third baseman at at Wichita State, and before we drafted him, uh, we felt like he could catch, and you know, interviewed him, and hey, you want to catch? Will you be willing to catch? He said, Oh, I've always wanted to catch. So I think that 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 that's important. Middle infielders make good. A lot of them make make good catchers. Craig Biggio was a really good catcher in college. Hey coach, um, we're getting down here to the end. Let me, a couple more questions. Uh, let me ask you, what's the difference between good and great? What, I mean, the guys that you've been around that were good, but then that you had guys that, what are the things that guys do that take them from good to great? Well, the, the, the great guys and, you know, the intangible stuff in terms of teammate and work ethic and working hard and working smart, uh, they, they do all the, the little extra things. You know, they do, they spend the extra time and they work smart and they figure things out and they, they you know, and again, good and great. Sometimes it, it, there's an ability level there. <laughs> they're like, 
I mean, Greg Vaughn was great. He ran six five sixteen hit balls, 470 feet. Uh, Jeff Blauser was great. Premium runner could really throw and really catch the ball and ended up being a really good hitter. I'm, but they worked hard. They worked smart. And, uh, and they, they were relentless. They were relentless. Everybody said, you know, great is a relative term. You know, and I don't think we need to say, well, I played in the big leagues, so I was great. Hell, you might be a, uh, a JV player at, uh, at McClatchy High School. And if you maximize what you're doing, if you can become the best version of yourself, that's relatively speaking, that's pretty great. So maximizing your potential and, and, and working through adversity. You're not playing, find a way to get better. Spend the extra time. Do what you need to do to help your team win on the bench. And eventually, you know, if you work smart and you work hard, you got a, you got a good chance. That's a great answer. A question for you would be, you've been a coach at all these levels. And obviously, uh, could you – we have a lot of parents that listen to this. What advice could you give parents – um, in this, you know, 13 to 18 year old range, um, in their walk through this process with their son, what's some good advice you could give them things that you've encountered over the years? Well, it's just good. You know, it's good parenting. It's whatever, whatever they do to be a good parent and good parents give their kids the best, give their kids opportunities, but they don't hand it to them. You know, they, you know, it's not about the parents. It's about the kid. The kid wants to do it. We're going to support him, but we're going to support him as long as he's working up to his capabilities. You know, it's not just a free handout to go out there and, and get a, a trophy or whatever it is. And, and I think being positive and being realistic, I think one of the things it, it's hard. It's, I will always say, uh, if you, if you evaluating a kid, there's always three opinions. There's the kid's opinion of his ability, their coach's opinion, and the parent's opinion. And I think that putting the responsibility, if the kid wants to do something, figuring out what he needs to do and then holding him accountable. Hey, you want to do this? You want to be a big league player? Well, this is what big league player. You want to get a scholarship? Well, this is what these guys, you know, this is what scholarship players do. This is what they, this is what they look like, you know, and, and continually working to develop themselves in all areas to maximize their ability. And I think that, uh, you know, really reinforcing your kid and keeping them, keeping them enthusiastic for the game, being, being positive And they won't, it's, this is supposed to be fun. They're supposed to be enjoying it. Now that doesn't mean that there's not going to be some tough times. And I tell, like I would tell, you know, the Sac City guys, I said, you know, we're, Oh, this isn't fun. I said, Hey, there's two types of fun. There's type two fun. That's the blood, sweat, and tear work when you're stacking the hay in the barn, and it's hard, and it's not fun and, and necessarily. But when the game starts and you're really prepared as a result of that blood, sweat, and tear work, and you get three or four hits or you get a scholarship or you get signed or you maximize your, your ability if you, if you become, you know, if you, if you do the stuff that you need to do to be as good as you can possibly be. Competitive greatness is just about is maximizing your potential and who knows what potential is. I mean, every, every guy can be better than they really are at that time. If they, if they work hard and they work smart and they work long enough. Um, so I, I think that, you know, I just, I just think that, uh, 
you know, being realistic and, and making them accept responsibility and not transferring blame. The coach sucks or the umpire sucks. Hey, get over it. You know, you can't control him. The only way, thing you can control is, is, uh, is how you choose to react to it. Coach, how, how do you use video to help players? Well, we've, I've used video uh, with, as, as a football coach first. You know, I played football, and obviously football was well ahead of baseball and still is in terms of developing players and evaluating players. But uh, I've used, I mean, from Super 8 until now, and uh, we use it uh, more than anything else. Um, we try and, and, again, I was talking about backwards engineering when a guy – hits a hard line drive, exit speed, 110 miles an hour and, and a line drive or a high line drive. And then we kind of look back and see what it looks like. And then also just, uh, I use it a lot from a team perspective, looking at bunt defenses and pickoffs and defensive stuff, you know, in, and we have uh, a, uh, we have a program called true media. I know probably you've had it in professional baseball, but I can see every big league and minor league player. And so we look at, the, the best guys, how they handle particular situations so that guys have a model. It's almost like when you learn how to dance and you don't know how to dance and you just, your model is your partner. You just follow your partner. And so seeing what good players look like. And then I, I think, I, I think sometimes you can get a little bit uh, uh, overly analytical and analysis by paralysis. If you, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect swing. You know, what we're looking for, we need to, sometimes when we look at too much video, we get too internally focused and we need to be more externally focused. What I mean by that is for a pitcher, their focus needs to be more over home plate and less over the rubber. For a hitter, the ball, the, the hitter needs to be more focused on ball flight than the mechanics that produce the ball flight. Now, you've got to find the sweet spot. You know, there are times where you have to make mechanical tweaks and do certain things. But for me, the best way to do that, and we video it, is we'll put a guy in a drill situation. For instance, if I had a guy, you know, and we see this a lot, on the pull side, guys hit a lot of ground balls and they top spin balls and they hook, they hook foul or, you know, whatever. And, you know, we'll take the machine, kind of move it over a little bit in between like third and the pitching mound and throw it on the inside part of the plate. And the goal is for the hitter to hit a line drive to left field in between the left fielder and the foul line and no top spin and no hook. And without any instruction, hey, figure it out. Organize your body. Uh, there's a guy, Nikolai Bernstein, who was a Russian biomechanist. And, and he, he says, whatever the task is, the body organizes itself according to what the task is. He's, and he worked with uh, uh, steel workers. And, and these guys were hammering nails. And he says, if I told a guy to hammer a nail in a piece of wood, and then the next thing I told him, he said, hammer the nail in, in that piece of wood all the way in with one swing, well, what's going to change? Everything's going to change. So for me, I like to have the right drill to correct a mechanical flaw and then let the player figure it out as best he can. Now, I'm going to kind of be guardrails in there, and I'm going to, you know, kind of guided discovery. You know, I might lead them part of the way, and they they got to finish it off. But uh, that's – that's and, and I, I do use – we look at video a lot. It's – we have a theater in, in at Salt River Fields in, in Scottsdale, and and before we go out and we and we're doing cutoffs and relays, we we have it up there. We have we spend a lot of time with our catchers after every game. 
when I rove. We have a catching chart that we go over. We have a heat map that we go over. We compare our guy with the other guy on the other team. Who's got the better heat map? Then we have a, a schematic that shows how many strikes you lost and how many balls you gained as strikes compared to the other catcher. And then we have all the high percentage strike pitches that were balls and all the low percentage strike pitches that you made strikes. And we look at the mechanics after every game, every game, those, those four things. So again, it's using it, using it right, using it with the right guy. Some guys, they don't want to look at video. The only thing they want to look at is their feel good video. They want to look at all their home runs, which is fine. No problem. What, um, let me ask you this last question. Really appreciate you taking the time to be with us tonight. Sorry it took so long to get you on here, but uh, it's been so great to have you. You know, there's there's a lot of coaches on this call, and yeah, you got a lot, how many guys you got on this? There's a lot of guys on this call. How many guys? I I'm not sure tonight. I I mean, it, we had the Super Bowl we were competing with tonight, so. Wow. Um, I mean, it looks like there's over 100 people here. Oh, no, there's over 100 people. But I, I was expecting there to be 400 people in here. Tonight. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, Jay Johnson brought in, I want to say there was 484 people at one time. Nice. It, it was unbelievable. Uh, but I thought you'd have that same kind of. Uh, I oh, no, he's, he's got star power, LSU. <laughs> but you got star power. Okay, yeah. so let me ask you this last question because there are a lot of coaches on here, coach. Um, what is it you think today with players is the biggest thing that coaches can do as far as communication goes? Cause that's where it's usually lost with players and coaches. What, what would you give advice to guys that you've been around? You've had a lot of success. Well, What's important between the coach and the player. Number one is transparency. Tell them the truth <laughs> at the time. And guys are afraid. Uh, unfortunately, one of the problems with coaches some, sometimes, and it depends on the level. I see big league coaches. They're afraid to coach big league players. Not, not anybody specifically. Don't be afraid. Be, they want honesty. Now at the time they may think it sucks and you suck, but they'll appreciate your, your honesty. And then the other thing for me, and, and there's a saying, uh, they don't, they don't, uh, care how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, I'm not sure that that's 100% true because if if you really are into their family and and their lives and their school, that's all good. You, 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 I think you need to do that. I think it's better when they like you, but they don't have to like you. But ultimately, it gets down to, can you make me better? Can you help me achieve my goals? So just just being a buddy to that guy, I'm not saying when you're transparent that, hey, you suck, you know, you know, <laughs> that type of stuff. But I'm just saying, hey, if you want to, what do you want to do? I want to do this. Well, if you want to do this, then, you know, what do you think you need to do? You know, put the put the ball in their court relative. It's, it's, it's a collaborative thing. But you have to have you have to have the skills necessary to help them because the biggest thing they want, the most important thing they want from you is direction in their baseball career. How can, how can I achieve my goals? You know, how can I become a winner? Help me get better. Now, sometimes you have to get worse to get better. And they, that's part of the process. That's part of the being transparent. 
It ain't going to happen. There's no magic bullet, no silver bullet out there. It takes time. But I think that that transparency piece, getting being prepared, knowing what you're talking about, and then, of course, caring for the, for the players, both a player and as a person. But you got if you just have that and nothing else, uh, they'll you know they'll you'll be friends with them, but they won't go to you to get help to be uh, a better baseball player or a better whatever. Gotcha. And Coach, again, you know, this, just 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 opinions. It's not no from the mountain, not etched in stone. It's just just you know. That's why we want you here because we want your opinion. I mean, an eight hundred winning percentage. I yeah, but that's because hey, yeah. Okay, I, I know you've had good players, but you're you're pretty damn good coach. Um, you really want you to know how much I appreciate you coming on here, taking your time to be on here to talk to everybody. Is there anything else you'd want to say to these guys that could well, help? I, them? I'll give you if you guys have a pencil. I'll give you my email. Uh, if you need anything, you can always get in touch with me. I, I always answer my email. Uh, JW. BB like baseball, SLO, Sam Lewis Oliver, like Sam Lewis Obispo, one at gmail.com. JWBBSLO1 at gmail.com. And um, more than willing to, to help whenever I can. Jerry, thank you so much uh, for your time. Truly appreciate it. Anytime. I uh, wish you the best of health and, uh, I hope I run into you down in San Luis Obispo when I'm there. Yeah, well, make sure you got my number. Call me. We'll go out and have a, a tri-tip sandwich at uh, at Firestone. That sounds really good. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks All for right, coming you, on. You bet. Hey, guys, um, tomorrow, do not forget, Coach Tim Corbin, Vanderbilt University, will be with Walter on, uh, you know, Real Talk and – it should be an unbelievable night. Uh, next week on Sunday, I have Dayton Moore, the former general manager of the Kansas City Royals, who is now the president of the Kansas City Royals. And uh, I really look forward to talking to him. Guys, I appreciate you coming in tonight. I know it was Super Bowl Sunday, uh, but when you get a chance to listen to Jerry, he's so impactful. I remember my first year coaching just uh, the intimidation factor uh, and his knowledge and his organization skills were so intimidating, uh, but such a great lesson for a first-year coach to be around somebody like him. So I hope everybody got something out of something tonight, out of what he had to say. And I wish all of you a great week.